Okay, right then. That's all set up and recording. Just got to wait until the guest comes online. Hi, Simon. You didn't tell me you were recording, so I thought I'd pop up online and see if you were ready. Damn it. Um, hi, Gary. Uh, I wasn't going to record anything today, you know. Um, I thought I'd let you have the week off so you can sit alone and drink in the garden. Oh, that's really thoughtful of you. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if you want to go back to that, I'll uh, I'll just finish off what I was doing and... Hang on, uh... hang on. If you aren't recording anything, why are you setting stuff up? Oh, um, well, isn't it obvious? No. Well, I'm, uh, I'm running a, uh, a diagnostic on the, the flange capacitor. That's not a real thing. You're getting ready to record a new podcast without me. I knew it. All those times you edited out my jokes, every time I said something particularly insightful and you edited it out. You've been planning this for ages, haven't you? You're trying to cut me out. No, 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 no. That's not it. Well, that's not all of it, at least. Listen, I suppose I should come clean. I've managed to get a guest on this week to interview. It's really special, and I don't want you spoiling it like you always do. What? What do you mean, spoiling it? Remember that time we tried to get Phil Collins for our Three Sides Live episode? When we played live at Wembley? Yeah? And you got some brummy with a similar name because you looked in the phone book? Oh, right. Yes, admittedly, I got that wrong. But come on, name one other time. What about that same show where you got a so-called fireworks expert in? Except he wasn't a fireworks expert, was he? And we had a great deal of explaining to do to the RSPCA. Well, yes, but... And that time where you got the Pope to raise the dead? opened a portal to hell and I had to come and get you. All right, all right, you've made your point. And you're always so angry. I am not angry! Well, anyway, I didn't want to risk you upsetting our guest, but as you're here now, you might as well stay. Fantastic! I've been waiting to test out my interview skills. Hmm, really? Yeah, yeah, listen to this. <coughs> so, where do you get all your ideas from? I really don't think... What would you say is your favourite colour? OK, OK, I think I understand. Listen, if I let you stay, do you promise not to ask any of those questions? What? What's wrong with those questions? OK, fine. But who is the guest? Find out after these messages. Hello and welcome to the Revelation Station podcast. This week brought to you by Chunkies, the food of champions. Four delicious flavours that deliver a nutritionally balanced diet that promotes health and well-being. Single meaty chunks and a rich gravy. It's a... Gary, what are you doing? I've, I've found us a new sponsor. Chunkies? Is that... is that dog food? Yep. And you're eating it? Of course. You know my views on this. Never let your dog eat something you aren't prepared to eat. Mmm, yeah, but I've seen your dog eat cat poo. Exactly. Oh. Right, um, well, uh, that explains the breath. So, as I was saying, tingle mighty chunks... No, 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 there's an easier way. You don't have to do this to yourself. But I like it. People can sponsor us by buying us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. For only $3, the price of a coffee, they can sponsor the podcast. Well, that will make it easier. But this is really nice. If you've got a dog, I would just like to say that Chunkies is definitely the way That's forward. enough. If you want to stop Gary from eating dog food and sponsor the Revelation Station podcast, please buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Search creators and look for Revelation Station. There we are. You can spend $3, price of a coffee, and you can help us keep running the podcast. And Gary won't have to eat dog food anymore. Doesn't have to, but will continue to do. 
That's enough. Tell me about it. This is delicious. It doesn't have to be like this. All we need to do is make sure we keep talking. Hello listeners and welcome to the latest episode of Keep Talking podcast from the Revelation Station and as you will have heard, heard in our introduction we've got a bit of a special guest with us today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Nick DeVigilio. Hello, hello. Hello Nick, thanks for joining us. Of course. Uh, so as you know, uh, we've just reviewed uh, the Rewiring Genesis album that, that Nick did so we thought it'd be really nice to talk to the man himself and so we've got a few questions to go along with sounds good bring him on where are you guys located where, where you're in the UK yeah so yeah 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 we're in the Midlands um I'm in uh Ilkeston in uh -huh. Derbyshire and, okay uh, I'm in Ripley in Derbyshire so we're, we're fairly close together and you're you're based in Indiana that's right isn't it Nick I'm in Indiana cool. right now yes um, but you're you're from is, are you from California is that right I'm from Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, the suburbs of Los Angeles. I moved to Indiana because I'm working at this place, Sweetwater. Yeah. There. This is where it's located. Oh, what do you do there, Nick? Sweetwater is the biggest online music gear retailer in, in the country, in North America. And wow. But there's also, at the facility, there's also recording studios, and I do a bunch of web cons. I'm sort of like the face of drums for Sweetwater, and then I'm also the house drummer in our recording studios. With the guy, Mark Hornsby, who's the other guy who recorded oh, yeah. uh, Rewiring oh, yeah. Genesis with me. So, yeah, okay. that, and that's why I'm in Indiana. Cool. cool. Let's just start off with a few Genesis-related questions then. So, um, you, you're a long-time fan of the band. How did you first get into them? My brother, Mike, is eight years older than me. Uh -huh. My sister, Chris, is 12 years older. But I basically, I listened to everything that they brought home. Yeah from you know, music wise. Mm -hmm. And he went off to uh, college, I think his first year of college and came back with selling England by the pound. You know, I'd already be playing drums and listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin and pretty much anything else he had turned me on to, but yeah. he played me the battle of Epping forest <laughs> when I was about eight, when I was eight years old or so. And I've been, I got hooked. I mean, immediately. So was that basically your introduction to Genesis, that track? That was the very first thing I heard. Yeah. Was that around the time that album was released or was it quite a while afterwards? No, after that. Um, Gosh, it was after that. I was, this was probably the late 70s. Yeah. Ish, 78. So not, not, you know, that far past yeah. when it was released, but somewhere around that time. So what was it about Genesis, the, the sound of the, the track you heard that really appealed to you? Uh, well, a lot of it was Phil's drumming for sure, but mm. um, there was something about that tune. Um, uh, the vibe of the whole thing was very slinky and. Um, and uh how do you know um sloppy in a great way we used to call mm -hmm. phil collins the, the best sloppiest drummer <laughs> of all time because and i'm not saying that to be to knock him in any way yeah. shape it just the way he his his offhand was always just you know go, going around the snare drum all the in-between notes you know he played progressive rock like a funk on the r&b drummer mm. um because he was a big fan of that music you know as a growing up as as i was or i still am and um, that style gave their music a groove and a pocket to me that was as the best in any of that genre. You know mm. what I mean? They gave progressive rock a real groove, mm. you know? And so there's some really funky bluesy bits throughout their music that you don't, you can't really tell that they're there because they're kind of in, enveloped in 
sort of a prog thing, especially the early stuff. But it's very groovy stuff, and it just kind of that's what drew me into it all. And um, Peter's voice, of course, mm-hmm. and um, uh, yeah, that was the biggest thing. Because I love Led Zeppelin and really groovy music and stuff like that. And as I got a little bit older, I got really deep into R and B and funk and Motown stuff. I studied it a ton and got a lot, you know, followed a lot of drummers in that vein. And Phil's playing style just fit that perfectly. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we we said in our review of Foxtrot, which was my first Genesis album, that um, Watcher of the Skies in particular has got a really funky rhythm section going on there, um, really grooves along, yeah. even though it's not a particularly funky song. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, just the way he plays, mm. the way he feels beats and, and feels groove and stuff like that, It's um, it lends itself perfectly to some of this technical music. Yeah. I, I mean, because he could have just done a straight drum beat you know, been a been a standard drummer as it as it were, you know, and just played it straight. But he he put a lot of stuff in the background of those some of those tracks. Yeah, no, and that's what made it great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you obviously you worked with with Tony and Mike. Um, did you work with Ray on Cornell Stations, or was he after you'd recorded your parts? No, he he was before. He had yeah. done stuff before I showed up. I don't know if it was the final. He yeah. might have come back afterwards and tweaked more things, but mm-hmm. um. And I, I, I only met him, I think, one time while I was at the studio with the guys there. Right. Okay. Um, you worked with Steve on uh, Spectral Mornings 2015 as well. Um, and you've also worked with Peter on the, uh, the Princess Diana tribute thing. So, so how was that? How were those experiences working with those two? Amazing. You know, everything, all of this. You know, listen, I grew up, um, I grew up with Genesis literally being my favorite band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, there was a time in my early teens and that kind of, I mean, that's all I listened to. Mm. I was deep in it. I knew every <laughs> song Bill played drums on note for note, backwards and forwards, every record, all the other side projects he was, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was pretty geeked out about them. So to be able to just even meet them mm. later on life, let alone work with them was, you know, I never expected it <laughs> ever, ever. As a lifelong fan, um, what was it like for you to go, and do an audition at the farm. And cr- crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I walked in, I'm going, what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine what that what that felt like to go there. It's like going, it would like going to church almost, I imagine. Well, it's just something I never imagined would happen. You know, I mean, I just, it was so crazy to even think about. They were a big band. I didn't, how would I ever meet these guys or... You know, I just never in my wildest dreams thought that would come to be. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, it, once I walked in and they're, they're very just, they're regular old guys like we all are, you know, yeah. just hanging out and reading the paper and talking and shooting the breeze and stuff like that. And so after about five, 10 minutes of just you know, saying hello and chit-chatting, it, mm-hmm. was, it's, it was a pretty normal experience as far as being in the studio is concerned. They're just there making music and hanging out and, and being, being their typical selves. So it was, uh, it was pretty relaxed in that respect. Did you get to see how uh, they create the music, or was it all written already when you were you most, came in? Yeah, most of the stuff was already mm. kind of in the can, at least in you know in uh, in big form. Yeah, it wasn't completely all uh, mapped out yet, but it was all the, all the songs were there. I recorded them at the at the audition. I played on way more material than was on the record. Yeah, they kind of whittled it down to pick those tracks. Mm-hmm. So there's more stuff there. 
All right. And, I, and unfortunately for me, I wish I got to jam with them more. I got to jam along with uh, Mike a bit. Yeah. While, we, while I was recording, but Tony just kind of hung out and listened. Hmm. Have you had any chance to work with Phil at all? No, he's the only one I haven't ever met. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I interviewed his son, Nick, recently yeah. at, at a show up in Detroit. Yeah. So I got to meet his son. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've met everybody else in the band and worked with everybody else, but I've never met Phil yet. So hopefully one of these days. I'd like to meet the guy. Well, of course, they're touring again this year, which came as a surprise to, I think, everybody. Yeah. Um, we got tickets to go and see them. Where is it, Simon? The Manchester. Manchester. Assuming it's not cancelled, of mm. course. Um, yeah. And we're really looking forward to that. So... Um, it's interesting that they've decided at this point to reform and tour again. That's not really a question, I know. But <laughs> just saying. Yeah, I mean, Phil's been working a lot these past mm. few years, and um, but with his health, I know Mike Rutherford's been touring a lot. Mm. Tony's really the only guy that hasn't really been out there that much mm. in the past number of years. So I think it's going to be good for him to get out and play. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but with been- his health, we didn't think we were going to see Phil and the band back together again at any point. So it's quite interesting that they've, you know, they finally got back together. Again, not a question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, we're going to ask a few more questions about calling all stations. Um, okay. So how did uh, the auditions come about? Uh, and I know you've, you've you've said on your your website, but for people who've not read your website, well, um, it's a little bit. I'll, I'll be as quick as, as I can with this whole thing. I met. When I was 25, uh-huh. I'd been just a regular old working musician in Los Angeles yeah. trying to get gigs and doing anything. And I'm, by chance, I met this guy named Kevin Gilbert. Uh-huh. Kevin was a local musician in Los Angeles. He had a band called Toy Matinee. He was uh, him and Cheryl Crow, you know, the artist Cheryl Crow. Yeah. They were boyfriend and girlfriend back in this time. is the mid-90s, 94, uh-huh. 1994. And um, when I met, basically Kevin gave me my break in the music business. Once I yeah. met him and started working with Kevin, all of a sudden I, a lot of the other things started happening for me. That's how I got the Tears for Fears job mm-hmm. and all those other things. And while I was on the road with Tears for Fears, Kevin called me and said he heard that Phil quit Genesis. Yeah. And while I was in London, I should find the management office and go see if I can get an audition. <laughs> I go, well, um, okay. <laughs> so I did. And I found the hit and run and I went and, uh, I brought, I had a, I was in a band called Spock's Beard for 20 years yeah. as well. This my own. And so I had the very first CD we'd ever done. That's all we had at that point. And I brought a CD and invited them all to the Tears for Fear show at Shepherd's Bush Empire. And um, I don't think anybody came to the show, but about, I don't know, four months, five, six months later, whatever, I got a call on a Sunday morning from Nick Davis, mm. um, the producer and engineer that's been working with Genesis for a long time and Phil. And asked to send them some more music. So I sent them some more music. And then all of a sudden they called and said they wanted to fly me over to have an audition. Wow. I mean, you know, it was like, <laughs> wow. You know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it all came about in a really quick uh, nutshell there. I mean, at this point, Genesis were basically reinventing themselves after Phil left. Were you concerned or worried about joining the band at this point, considering, you know, it could go either way? At that time, I wasn't concerned about it. I was just like over the moon to be uh, you know, playing with those guys yeah. Yeah. and meeting them and all of that kind of stuff. I really didn't think of that much at all, to be quite honest. Mm. Obviously, I knew deep down that uh, replacing Phil Collins is, is like, you know, it's impossible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, shoe, yeah. the shoes are way too big to fill. <laughs> so, um, so I just went in and did my things best I could. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I had, I had a big, 
thoughts in my head why we could tour the world and play these huge shows play <laughs> imagine me playing in the cage on a big stage with mike and i mean i had all those those things in my uh, yeah in my head but um those, they didn't happen but that's okay i mean just the fact that i was even there and got that opportunity was uh, good enough for me to yeah. be quite honest were you disappointed that the album wasn't better received yeah, but I mean, it was. I think they were up up against a up against the how, how do you, what's the right term? You know, it was they were up against it. Yeah. Um, mm. Phil was such a huge star. Yeah, you know, he was that he was the face and of so many things. And to um, for him not to be all of a sudden, I think was just a, a, a tough ask for a lot of fans, mm. um, especially fans that weren't huge Genesis diehards like us. You yeah. know, a lot of the people that were following them, the, the like the more popular side of stuff. Um, yeah, we'd already gone through a couple of singers <laughs> at this point. So, I mean, we were used to changes in lineup ever so slightly. Um, right. But I think that, you know, the mainstream people out there who are used to the last couple of albums, it was probably quite a leap for them to accept right. a new singer and a new lineup. Mm. Right. So, you know, it, it was tough, but I, 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 I'm glad they went for it. Definitely. So, but at least you, you have that experience. So oh, my gosh. <laughs> my name's on a Genesis record. <laughs> I, my, my name is on a I, So that's like... I've never again. I never in my wildest dreams imagined that <laughs> would be the case. So yeah. Um, so um, Dave Longdon, obviously, you worked with him in Big Big Train. Um, yeah, he was also in the running for that job. Did you know him at the time, or was it only I did not. I mean, yeah, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Long, I, mean, I had no idea. Yeah, that's a real coincidence. Have you spoken to him about that experience since? Oh yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was. Uh, it would have been amazing for him. I think he would have done a great job mm. too. Um, Ray Wilson's awesome too. I love Ray's voice. Yeah. He's great. Um, but yeah, it would have been the. Who knows what would have happened? Yeah, you know. I mean, listen to the big big train stuff. He 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 seems like he would have been a shoe in for it. Um, just based on obviously on that, but they had yeah they had. I've read interviews with Tony where he said he had Ray Wilson in mind from the start. So, yeah, maybe it was never to be. But yeah, I do. I do think it would have been interesting for him. I do too. Yeah, but it's nice. Though. I mean, it, it, it's nice though because last time when Big Big Train played at Cadogan Hall, we did a yeah. little res- three show residency there a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, Tony and Nick Davis came to one of the shows mm-hmm. and then hung out afterwards and talked to me and David and stuff. They're really cool. It's nice that I mean after all this time. Um, They'll come and see a show and hang out and uh, hmm. and just you know that kind of thing. So it, it's it's nice that little bit of a relationship has has lasted even after all this time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just last question about Cornwall Stations. Uh, you were only on four tracks on the album, um, and uh, Nia was on the rest. Why do you know why they only chose four of your performances for that? I don't know. No. I don't know. It was just their decision. You know, again, hmm. we I recorded on everything. I yeah. think probably Nia did the same thing, and. Um, it's just that's kind of how it all worked out when they were in the uh, in the mix room, I guess. Mm. Okay, cool. So I know when we started this podcast in 2018, it was the because it was the 50th anniversary of the first single coming out, and I was also aware that it was also the 10th anniversary of we rewiring Genesis. So I kind of had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to cover cover that as well. An interesting idea to do a tribute to the album. When did you first hear the original album? Uh, pro- not long after I heard my the, the one I talked to you about hearing. Um, yeah. Uh, Battle of Epping Force when I was a kid. So not far after that, somewhere around that, probably in the same six months or so, he gave me that record too. Yeah. So way back then. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, d- did you like it immediately? Or was it one of those ones that grew of on course. you? <laughs> no, no, I was into it front, right from the get go. That's quite yeah, interesting. But, but once he Such turned me on to Genesis, then I started, you know, he'd bring home the other records and yeah. his buddy was a big fan turning, brought him, he'd bring home stuff for me to listen to. And then I'd just sit in my room and just listen to everything. Yeah. You know, one after the other. I got really into it fast. 
it's quite interesting that you you like that album because I think it's one of those albums that even most Genesis fans find it hard to get into immediately. Oh, man? Yeah, because it, it's so out there con- compared to some of their earlier and later stuff. It really does. I mean, when we uh. when we did it, when we um covered this album, well, we talked about it. It really does stand out like an on its own project. Um. Because the sounds that they use, the way they use instruments, and the and the way it's composed, it's quite different to some of their earlier albums that they were doing at that time. Yeah, but boy, I I, I sort of I see what you're saying there, but I'm not sure if I agree 100 percent because to me it just it has it's just the next progression from the previous you know couple of things that they did. Mm. So it really expanded. Don't worry about disagreeing with me. Simon does it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> This really expanded on their writing. Um, that's what was cool about doing the rewiring record is because I got to, we really dove in deep on the the writing of the songs and the chord progressions and, and you know, that kind of stuff. And you could kind of tell where they came from on a lot of things after that point. Mm. I, could, I could hear patterns in, in different things from the different instruments that um, I never really heard before. Yeah. I love it, Lamb. I think it's fantastic. Oh, it is I, a great album. It is. It's a work of genius as far as I'm concerned. I'm surprised mm. it's not better known outside of the prog circle, really. Something like The Wall, I find really, really difficult to get into. And I think, although The Lamb is quite dark in places, I, it seems more accessible in a way. Mm. So, so it always surprises me that not not a lot of people know about it. Yeah. I mean, you started off with Colony of Slipperman didn't you performing that is that what led you into it yeah this was a that was the first track we did yeah that was we tried this you know this you know this was a crazy suggestion that mark came up with i think we had we'd been drinking probably (laughs) (laughs) hey what if we do a pro what if we do some progressive rock like country or bluegrass style just because i mark was an engineer in nashville tennessee Mm. and he he had been inviting me he had been friends for a long time by that point and he had been bringing he had been bringing me to nashville to do sessions on all kinds of different stuff whatever he had been working on and uh, he just brought this up one time, and I go, well, yeah, why not? So we have a friend of ours named John Hinchy, who is a trombonist, but also a, 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 a an arranger, really good at, at breaking out, uh, writing charts for pretty much every instrument there is. So he, we got to get in, and uh, he wrote out all the music for this. And um, we go, okay, well, what about, we know a great accordion player. What if we had accordion play all the synth parts? And... Uh, <laughs> And just crazy things like that. And then yeah. we got in the studio and tried it, uh, not really knowing what the heck was going to come out. And uh, it was like, wow, this is this is really good. <laughs> we, we didn't we didn't know what to expect, but we uh, it was a, just a really pleasant surprise. Yeah. So we did that that whole track and um, produced the whole thing and mixed it and everything. And once that song was done and we heard the whole thing and we really liked what we heard, Mark said, "You want to." try to tackle the whole thing. And I go, that's crazy. And <laughs> so we did. So one of the questions we were going to ask was why you chose the particular instruments you did um, when you were composing this. Was it really just trial and error on some instruments to see which worked best? Yeah. Well, the thing was, is to pay, just to kind of uh, strip it down to more acoustic instruments. So take away synthesizers and uh, Mellotrons, mm-hmm. which is like the signature yeah. sound for a lot of Genesis tunes. Right. Yeah. And, um, and just kind of make it more acoustic, more countrified, really, you know, mm. acoustic guitar, banjo, uh, accordion, these kinds of the mandolin, these kinds of things that you wouldn't really think of to, on a uh, on progressive rock. And then once we got into it, that's when we started bringing, oh, what about some horns? How about a clarinet playing a solo here? Because and then once we heard it, we go, man, 
this is fantastic. Yeah. So it just, to me, it, it just proves that the music lends itself to all kinds of stuff. Mm. It doesn't have to necessarily be that way because the songwriting is really great. So if you just get creative with instrumentation, those songs could work in a bunch of different ways. I think that's one of the things that me and Simon both really enjoy about the album that you've produced here is the different sounds you get just using different instruments. It's like listening to the same song afresh mm. again, and you get to hear so many different things, and they're so much more enjoyable. Thank you. I mean, and we didn't really play the songs differently. We played the songs like they are, just with those different instruments, really. You know what I yeah. mean? So it's not like we really took yeah. them and, and turned them into completely different things, played them all like 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 a jazz tune or something, change the rhythm and everything. We still mm. played the songs pretty much like they're supposed to be played just with those instruments. That was the great surprising thing about it because you didn't listen to this these tracks and there was nothing really, forgive me for saying this, fresh because it was the same track, but it was a whole new level of listening to that same track. And it was it was so exciting to listen to. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, one of the one of the other questions I wanted to ask because uh, we don't know about the ins and outs of record making. Um, right. did, when you were doing this and you actually produced it, did you have to seek permissions or, or did you need to get rights to do it? No, not if to re anybody can record anything. Um, you pay publishing and that kind of stuff, but you don't. You need permission to re-record a song. You do need permission to do to do video and different things. You do have to get rights. But to actually go in the studio and re-record somebody's song, you don't need their permission. Right. But you are supposed to pay the public. Like when you sell a record, they're supposed to get their mm. cut of the song, ah. which is not that much. But but uh, so in music, you don't need permission. In video and stuff like that, you do. Right. So no, we didn't need permission to do this um, as far as that's concerned. But you do have to pay the publishing in, the, in those fees. So kind of related to that, as, do you know if any members of Genesis have heard the album? Have they given you any feedback oh, yeah. on it? Yeah, we sent it to all of them. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I I've spoken to uh, to Tony about it a number mm -hmm. of times because um, we've actually had dinner a few times, to, um, you know, outside of music, which is great. So he he really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. He. <laughs> so this one, he we were having dinner near their place. I forget the name of the town, but at a little Indian restaurant, mm -hmm. uh, having a curry somewhere, and it was Nick Davis and his wife, and Tony and his wife, and me and Mark Hornsby. And Tony says to me, he was totally straight faced. He goes, Nick, if I knew, if I had known that you'd sang that well back then, maybe you could have been the singer in Genesis. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <I> said, what? <laughs> he goes, how come you didn't tell us? How come you didn't tell us you sang? <laughs> and I go, I'm, I go, I'm sure I did tell you I sing, but I, you know, listen, I was there to to record drums. <laughs> Yeah. Not, not just say, oh, I know you guys got a singer, but you know I could sing better than them. I mean, well, you know, why would <laughs> I wouldn't say anything close to that, right? So it's um, that that blew me away a little bit. Um, and he, and uh, he still says that every once in a while when I see him. Um, I know Mike Mike Rutherford's heard it. I mm -hmm. and I've sent it to everybody else. I, I did send it to Steve Hackett recently. He had not known about it, even though I sent them. Yeah. I'm sure they get they get bombarded with stuff all the yeah. time. I'm sure. So um, I think most of them have heard it. Mm. Yeah, because using the orchestral and the, the the strings and the brass is very much what Steve did on the tour when we saw him. Not not his last tour, the tour he did before. Um, right. So he he did it really. He did a spectacle um, live, um, seeing it like that. So sure. did you perform some of this live as well? Didn't you once or twice? We did it a couple times. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a big undertaking. Um, yeah. Because uh, we try, you know. To pull it off live, we wanted to try have it to try and have it sound as close to the record as possible. Yeah. So we had singers 
and a whole brass and horn section playing all those different instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought the guy in who played, because one guy named um, Jeff Taylor played piano and the accordion and a lot of those keyboard solo instruments. Yeah. And we had him play and um, a few other people and some friends of mine. And it was a good, it was good fun. I'd, and I would do it again if we could pull it off. Um, but it wasn't like something we could really tour. So how big an ensemble was it when you produ- when you did this live? How many people were you? are we de- talking about on the stage here? Oh, Scott, it was probably at least um, 15. Wow. wow. <laughs> something like that. I mean, the, the horn section was um, like seven or eight people, just them. Yeah. Playing the horns, and and then we had you know bass, drums, guitar, two keyboard players, three background singers, that kind of I mean, thing. When, two when we were players, listening to the album, we were discussing it last week. Well, we're kind of both in agreement that the use of the horn section was absolutely inspired on some of these tracks. Mm. It, it added such a such a depth to the music. You bet. And I, yeah. I think we both said last week, and I hope nobody uh, important is listening to this, but I think we actually prefer your musical renditions on these to the original <laughs> album. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You know, thank you. I think the, the, the accordion solo in Colony of Slipper Men is probably yeah. one of the greatest things I've ever heard, Love by the way. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? It's yeah, it's so absolutely good. insanely cool. Yeah. <laughs> it makes me smile every time I listen. And what you know what makes what makes a lot of the record for me mm. is the players that played on the record, most of them had never heard they knew who Genesis was, yeah. but they had never heard the Lamb wow. ever in their life. Yeah. So this was all brand new music for them. Some of them just reading it off the chart, you know, <laughs> maybe like one time listening down to the original in the studio and then trying to play it. Yeah. So they had no preconceived notions of what it was supposed to be like, where it came from, you know, the the folklore of the old record and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. They were just in there as session musicians doing their thing. Um, and that's why there's a lot of freshness there because they had... had they didn't come into it with some other vibe or feeling mm. of what the record was before they started yeah, recording. They didn't have any of the baggage. Sorry, did they did they struggle with with playing it because it's quite an unusual time signatures and things all the way through this, which might be some of them. Yeah, some of the stuff is def- definitely hard for sure. Yeah, but these are real pros. We got like some of the best of the best that lived in Nashville are still there, mm. and because there's some amazing musicians in that town. Um, sometimes you know country music gets the rap of being so simple and. <laughs> hokey here and there um which it can be but the musicians in that town are incredible yeah so they can play anything so did i read that it took you about seven and a half weeks to record the whole thing uh that's probably with mixing and everything yeah. we did it really quick right. i mean there was you know in between everybody trying to make a living and yeah this was a this was a, a, a passion project not a not a right. money so project, it wasn't, so wasn't it. something you sat in a studio for five weeks recording all day every day it was hit bits here and there no we did all the basic tracking pretty darn quickly right because we had charts for everything. We got the guys in and we just kind of read it down, did a few takes on each thing mm-hmm. and then fixed some parts and then moved on to the next tune. Yeah. So you you did this quite a few years ago. Listening to it now, is there anything you'd change or anything you'd like to do differently? Um, only in the mixing. Mark and I might were, have been talking about this for a while, about remixing it. Um, there's a few sounds, I think, because it was all done rather quickly. Um, I think there could be a few things better as far as the production mix is concerned mm. but it's not the end of the world if that never happens i'm totally satisfied with what we did for sure but um that would really much that would kind of be the only thing mm. and maybe one more chance at playing riding the scree yeah <laughs> um but even that even set that being said um i think uh that would be it really 
So it was released on Prog Rock Records, that's right, isn't it? And But they went bust a few years ago. Yeah. So it's not possible to get the album anymore. Um, are, are you able to re-release it? Well, that's another reason why we're talking about trying to redo right. it. So you are, you, you've got the rights, basically, to re-release it. It's not tied up in anything anywhere then. Right. Um, nice. Yeah. You, when you did this, I mean, you, you've done this now, and it's... It, have you been tempted to do any other other the other albums or or tracks? Sure, we would. So we we had this vision of doing like you know other records, other bands hmm. in this sort of style, like redoing Twenty One Twelve or something by Rush in this. You oh know, God. <laughs> now that's one of our favorite albums. <laughs> something crazy. I, we, never, we had we did I just you know think of something <laughs> outside like that and turning it yeah. into the same sort of thing. Yeah. So we had we talked about that a few times. Hmm. Um, but it's just it, again, it's just a big undertaking. So yeah, um, you got to really have free time. To do it would it. certainly be interesting to hear. I mean, we I said we we both really enjoyed this, this album. So I mean, that that sort of look, different look at a, a piece of music you're very familiar with, is is really refreshing. And it it would be interesting to hear other albums done in that that, that style. Well, I. Just a little sidebar here. What we have done recently in the past couple of years is we we made two records playing progressive rock on ukuleles. Okay. Um, the band's called Unique, and it's literally a tiny drum kit and a bunch of ukuleles. And we did songs like Cinema Show and uh, uh, some King Crimson, and we did Rush and uh, ELO and all kinds of stuff. And it worked out incredibly well I, i'll send you guys the link for the first record where you can hear what we did we did roundabout by yes <laughs> and uh and it's all ukuleles wow. <laughs> it's and it's kill and, and it's absolutely really good we played live a few times mm. and got a really good reception that way and again it's just fun so that was that's the latest crazy thing we've done is that the thing you enjoy most about doing this the fun aspect of it well yeah music's fun it's gotta be yeah, yeah. um yeah, I, I mean, one of the things. And when we do this, like, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, guys. No, no, no. When keep, we do keep this going. kind of stuff, it's like we're trying to do stuff that's not a typical just recreation of a song, mm. just a, a straight cover. Because a lot of people do that. And um, the originals are usually always the best when, in those situations. Yeah. So um, if you're going to do something, doing it completely differently and just putting a different spin on it sometimes is, is a better yeah, course. That's exactly what we liked about this album. Cause as you say, you could have done a straight copy and there's no point in that, but you put so much effort into doing a reinterpretation of uh, mm. these well-known tracks. Um, it, yeah. Cause the original is already great. You can't, you know, yeah. you can't recreate greatness like that. Yeah. I mean, it, this, this one was familiar, but it was different enough that it was interesting. Mm. Um, one of the right, thing, thought, one cool. of the things we we argued about last week when we were doing this um, was we discussed the fact that because of the different use of instruments, this ended up being we thought a much lighter album in tone than the original. Okay, is that something you were aware of? Well, I'm not I don't think we were focused on that, but I could see where that comes from. Just I think by the instrumentation and the I think probably lends itself yeah, to that because it, the original was was really dark. But with the use of, of various wind instruments and the horn sections, we were saying that this is much almost now uh, a show tune version of the album. You, this is something you could see being performed on stage as a as a play, sure. rather than the original, which was which was so much darker. And we were we were discussing whether right. the actual story's slightly changed now because it's got a lighter tone to it. I don't know. <laughs> it is a kind of dark it's story anyway. Dark story. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a weird, very weird sort of. Uh, Peter Gabriel thing, right? So it's uh, 
uh, lightening it up is, is, I mean, I, yeah, again, I don't think we were thinking of that, but I suppose it's so, cool it's it so open to interpretation anyway, isn't it? The story that you can right. read whatever you want to read into it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah, what does it really mean? Oh, yeah, you know. people have been arguing about this for so long. I don't think, I think <laughs> only Peter knows what this is actually about. I mean, you can read the notes on the album and everything, and I don't think you can really nail down every aspect of the story going on here. Sure. But, um, yeah, we, we, we were just, as we were listening to it, we, the lightness of the music, we thought, potentially just made the story a little less, de- not depressing, because it's not really, well, it is kind of depressing, isn't it, the story? But we, th- we thought it just, I think that's why we enjoyed this album, because it was now an upbeat album as opposed to the original, which was which was downbeat in a way. Okay. You know, and you had to wait till the very end till Rail got through everything he was going through, and then you got this this sort of looking up towards the light ending. Whereas your album, it's kind of in the light all the way through. And that's not a bad thing. It's just it's we just enjoyed it more for that aspect. It, it added a new dimension to the story, we thought. Cool. Great. <laughs> We'll argue about cool. this in um, the pub for years to come. <laughs> so, will, nice. so will everybody, I think. Yeah. <laughs> just we were just arguing last week yet again. Did I hear a theremin in there at one point? Yeah. Yay! <laughs> yeah, damn it! I owe you a pint. <laughs> we tried. Yeah, we just grabbed everything we could. Uh, the studio we were working in it was called Java Jive. Our friend Dave Martin, um, who's on the record. Uh, it was his studio and he collected all kinds of crazy instruments in his place. So we just, how about, Hey, let's try this. What's that thing sound like? Okay. Let's put that on this song. Okay. That kind of thing. I mean, so. We really enjoyed the album just because of the compositions of the various pieces. Um, it was, it was so fresh, you know, having heard uh, the lamb for so long now hearing this reinterpretation of it, it was just like hearing it again. You got to re enjoy all the tracks that you already enjoyed. And it's just, when I'm when I'm listening on my headphones or whatever to various albums, I sometimes like to switch back and forth between these two versions because they're both such unique experiences. It's a joy listening to both of them. Nice, thank you. Yeah. Um, so obviously, you've worked with so many people that to go over your whole career would be a, a series of podcasts rather than just as a, a single interview. Um, you worked with lots of people like Tears for Fears and Dream Theater and Fates Warner. You toured with those guys, as well as obviously Spock's Beard. Um, do you get a kick out of touring with bands that you've listened to? Sure. I mean, I just love playing, you know, and I love challenging myself wherever I can. Um, so it's uh, bring it on. It's I mean, it's kind of it's what I do for a living too. Yeah. So the, you know, <laughs> I need to pay the bills and, and feed the family and all that kind of stuff too. So it's uh, when good situations come up and I can, you know kill two birds with one stone actually make some money and play music mm-hmm. it's a it's a great thing and i've been very blessed to have some really nice gigs throughout my career yeah. for sure and you worked with Cirque du Soleil for quite a few years as well how, how did that differ from touring with a, a in a band situation oh I mean, it was very different but i mean it was like being it was being part of a kind of a big huge production rock show mm. every night just there was acrobats on the stage doing incredible stuff yeah instead of uh, just guys playing guitar and singing and stuff. Um, it was cool, but it was, you know, it was a, it was a steady gig. I mean, at that point in time in my career, it came, I, we needed it, you know, yeah. it was, things were slow and wasn't making much money and any of that kind of stuff. And it was, it was, it came at just the right time mm. and uh, ended up being a very cool experience for me, but 
not just me from my family too, because I got to travel around the world with my wife and kids. Yeah. So they got to see and learn a lot and we got to hang out with people from 19 different countries uh -huh. and all these different languages and cultures. And I mean, it was, it was a really cool education for everybody. Cool. When you're touring with, with bands like Tears for Fears or Queensryche or Dream Theater, when you drum on their tracks, do you follow their tracks faithfully or, or are you tempted to put your own touch to them? Um, well, yeah, well, it depends on who you're playing for. Now, I never played with Dream Theater or Queens, right? I opened up for them. I, ah. I was on that tour, not playing in those specific bands, just to, ah, just to okay. clarify that. Because um, I would if they'd asked, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was playing in Fate's Warning when I played, when we were touring with Dream Theater in Queens, right? Uh, but to answer your question, like for Tears for Fears, no, Roland Orzabal, he wanted the songs to sound like the record. So I had to play it pretty faithfully to the record. Although I got to, you know, give it my, my little spin and my feel, but I tried to play pretty close to the, to the recordings. Cause that's what he was, you know, he's the guy paying me and, mm -hmm. and signing my paycheck and that, yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's my, that was my job to do. And thankfully I'm a fan of their music. So it was a real enjoyable experience and he's a nice guy and a great musician too. Um, uh, for other things, it just depends on what you get hired for, you know, and what they want to do. Sometimes they want you to be more free and, and lend and do some other stuff. They might be tired of what they've been playing for a long time, but it just, again, it just depends on who's hiring you at the time. When you um, rejoined um, Spock's Beard for the the, the one album you, where you were just playing drums, how different was that experience to when you were in the band before and when you were the singer? Do you have to kind of pull yourself back a little bit from trying to get more involved? No. Um, that kind of came through the Sweetwater job. They came for a recording workshop and to do some recording and they wanted to do, I mean, no, it, that was like putting on an old pair of slippers, to be quite honest yeah. with you, with, getting back in the studio with those guys. Um, and it was, and actually, at that point, after not being in the band for a long time and doing other things and getting back together, there was really no pressure. It was just that, it was a lot of yeah. just plain fun getting back in the studio with my old friends. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, there wasn't a big uh, thought process before that. Just, just, again, just having a good time. Awesome. And it was really enjoyable. Uh, your new album's called Invisible. Um, when is it released and what can we expect? The official release date is June 26th. Mm -hmm. um, the first single's already been put out. That was May 1st, a song called Where's the mm -hmm. Passion. Um, you can hear that on my website or all the digital streaming sites and all that kind of That's stuff. It's a really good song. We're going to put out another thing. Go ahead. A really good song, by the way. I, I really enjoyed oh, it. Thank really you. good. I love the uh, the production on it as well. It's so good. Thank you. Um, Another single's coming out end of this month, last Friday this month, uh, May 29th, I think. Mm -hmm. And then a couple, maybe something else to trickle out before the record's actually out, just to kind of build some anticipation. Um, it is a uh, concept record. It's something I'd never done before. Mm -hmm. um, it's got 14 songs on it. I wrote everything except the opening prelude, and there's one cover song. Everything else is my original mm -hmm. stuff. Um, and it all... It, 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 kind of grew out of me working at Sweetwater and with all the great musicians that come through this place, I was able to, um, to get basically the record got sponsored by all of the drum companies that we work with at Sweetwater. Mm. So I'm playing a different drum kit on every song and um, oh, wow. I'm doing all kinds of crazy production stuff to show off the gear and the music. And it was able to, it gave me the ability to record the record at a really high level. Mm. Like I, you know, we went to Abbey Road and recorded strings, recorded strings and brass at Abbey Road for this wow. record, and that kind of stuff. So it all stemmed through coming through Sweetwater. So now to answer your question about style, it's a little bit prog. It's a, I think it's a rock record in yeah. in overall, yeah. 
but it's got its progressive technical side for sure. There's, there's some very straight songs on the record. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of nice ballads, a little bit of orchestral stuff. So it, it varies and it's just, and it's a, it's a concept. So it's kind of each song is t- trying to tell the story. So that's why I, that's how I get away with songs changing style yeah. a little bit from one to another. Did you come up with the concept first and then write the songs to fit in with the theme? Or did you uh, write songs that were all in a th- similar theme and kind of think, oh, these all, these could all fit together? No, this came over, uh, this thing was been sitting around for a while. Yeah. The, inv- the original idea came from when I first got the Cirque du Soleil gig because uh-huh. I was playing, when I played in that show, I was in a drum booth behind the stage. No one saw me play. You only heard me play. So I felt, and this, that feeling went away rather quickly, but at the beginning I felt invisible. It's like, yeah. what the heck am I doing here? Um, I was so used to being on stage and rocking out and being the center of attention for a lot of things. And um, so I had to kind of get over that quickly. And I did. It ended up being a great situation for sure. But it just gave me inspiration to write some music. So that's kind of where it started. And then over the years, I just it it was always just kind of percolating in the background. But everything else, just life got in the way. I wasn't able to finish stuff. And next thing you knew, two years would go by and songs were still sitting there. So really, in the last couple of years, Mark Hornsby um, kind of just kicked me in the butt and said, dude, you got to finish this thing. <laughs> and I started thinking about it some more, and I probably wrote about half of the music from that point forward to finish, kind of finish off the story. I really started getting into it and thinking about the whole thing. And then, so then the, uh, the storyline, I took it away off of me because it was never supposed to be about me anyway. Mm. And sort of made and sort of thought about a different way of telling the story, and that kind of gave me some inspiration too. Cool. So, just going back to um, you mentioned you played a different kit on each song. Um, not yeah. being a drummer or a musician myself, how different does it feel playing different kits? So, is there is it significant, or can you do you kind of get used to them very quickly? Well, drums are drums are drums yeah. in general, right? I mean, there it's a round cylinder with a head <laughs> on it, and you hit it. So, it's like there's not it's it's not that different. Um, but what is different is the way manufacturers construct their drums, mm-hmm. the vibe that's in their their story behind their drums, why they make the drums the way they do. There, these yeah. differences really do make a difference, yeah. if that's I'm saying that word a lot. But I mean, that's where the difference comes in. Mm-hmm. And there is tonal differences for sure. You can, you, you can hear. So I was able to mold the drum sound along with everything else. Really, I got really specific with the sound of what I wanted for the drums for each individual song. Yeah. Um, you try to do that in the studio anyway, but usually you have one drum kit and maybe a couple of different snare drums and you, and you work around that. But this way I was able to, to mold, uh, get real specific with it and then, and also have some fun. So we were telling the story about how there's a good record. It's like recording education, re- drum recording education, as well as yeah. a regular listening to a record kind of thing. So there, there's video content coming for the whole record. Oh. There's a 20 minute documentary about the making of, mm-hmm. and then there's individual gear videos for like every song that used drums. There's a video coming out for that short one. It's like five minute yeah. long videos of, of the drum kit, why I picked it, some grooves from the song. And then also a video for the company, uh, the microphone company, DPA. We went to their factory and they sponsored the record as well. So there's a lot of video content around the making of the record coming. Cool. Okay. So are they going to be included on a uh, sort of a bonus disc or is that going to be on YouTube? Yeah, YouTube, that kind of stuff for yeah. now. Yeah, all easily findable for Thanks. sure. Um, yeah. It, while you've been talking about this and the, the previous projects you've done, it sounds like you get a real buzz out of the product, out of doing the production on your tracks. 
Do you think you get more fun out of the playing or the production and post-production of what you're doing? Well, no, well, nothing will ever take the place of playing on stage um, and playing live. That's what's so just, uh, excuse my language, shitty about what's going on right mm. now. Because um, there's that's that's the magic right there. It's being in the studio is incredible and it's fun when things really come together and surprises happen, such as the lamb, the rewiring record, like when we first did Slipperman and, you know, not expecting that result and then hearing it back through the speakers, man, you know, that, that can be really rewarding and um, special and fun and great and all that kind of stuff. So, but to be honest with you, I mean, playing live is where it's at and um, I'd love to do that as much as possible. and. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's all making music, so it's all great, yeah. but, um, that's why, you know, guys like Phil and, and the gang are want to go out and play again because they want to play their music and, uh, and, and entertain people. So there's something about that, that, that it's a drug that, uh, once you get into it, you can kind of never get rid of it. <laughs> well, I've got a, a drummer. My daughter's got a, I bought her an electronic drum kit at the start of the lockdown god help me but it's got speakers so she can plug headphones in so she's just learning to play drums at the moment so nice. <laughs> so she's just, what kind of yeah. idiot buys his daughter a drum kit <laughs> at the beginning of lockdown <laughs> well this this kind of idiot <laughs> very loving father that's what it is. he is a very loving father but I'm, I'm not sure i'd have done the same thing i have noise cancelling headphones i'm fine <laughs> So, uh, with saying that you nothing beats playing live, will you be touring this album? I hope so. Yeah, that's uh, thinking about it. Got to figure that out with along with everything else. But yeah, I don't want to do all of this and go through all this trouble and never and never play it live. Yeah. So that's definitely uh, in in the thought process right now. Right now, I mean, I just work working on getting the record out yeah. and released and doing all of the social media stuff. There's a lot going into releasing records these yeah. days. That's like keeping up with it all is crazy. Yeah. Um, but if you want to try and sell a few records, you got to do it. So I'm just doing that right now. And then the live thing hopefully will be coming down the do pipe. Do you think you'd yeah. just be touring the States or will you be touring further? No, I'd love to come over there. Yeah. I've got to come over there. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky and, and blessed enough to have a decent with the bands that I've been in and stuff that I have a good following over in the UK and definitely in, in yeah, mainland Europe and stuff. So I'm definitely, yeah, I know we will go out of our way to see you if you, you do come over this way. Yeah. You've got quite a few guest guest stars on the album. Um, is there anybody you'd yeah. like to work with in the future? Obviously, apart from Phil. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, gosh, yeah, tons of people. Um, I'm a huge Muse fan, so I'd love to do something with Matt Bellamy one of these days. Yeah. That'd be great yeah. if that could ever happen. I think he's incredible. One of my favorite bands. Um, yeah. Uh, gosh, I don't know. There's there's a ton. There's a lot of people for sure. When you are working with all these different um, famous people, so to speak, um, do you find that egos get in the way sometimes or or is everybody pretty much down with making the music? You know, I haven't, I, I've been very lucky. I haven't, I've only had a couple of sort of negative situations in my career musically as far as working with somebody else. It hasn't happened to me very often, thankfully. I've heard some really bad horror stories from other musicians of getting gigs and it not going well. Um, most of the time, you know, 99% of the time I've, I've experienced everybody just, they're there to make music. Um, you know, you gotta, you know, when you're just like any job, really, you go in and you, and you, you want to please the boss and do, do the best you can. And then once you get the lay of the land, you see if you can spread your wings a little bit or take chances or not. And, um, 
to me, that's it's just always worked out good that way. I show up on time. I make sure I learn the parts. I try to do the right thing. Uh, I don't get too stupid. And <laughs> um, and so far, I've it's been uh, okay. The only question I've got left for you then is: um, you released your first album in two thousand and one. Um, is that that's right? Isn't it two thousand and one? Yeah, around there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you released an EP in two thousand and eleven. So why so long between this album and your first album? <laughs> Yeah, I know. It's um, it mainly because um, I was always, I guess, I was just always trying to have a career, mm-hmm. and I had, I got gigs, thankfully, and the, and Spock's was going, and Tears for Fears at that time, and just stuff was always. In, other things were happening all the time mm-hmm. that were taking precedence over um, me trying to be a solo artist. Yeah. Um, I always played and recorded and all of that kind of stuff, but it just it it was it wasn't the precedent you know, I was sporting a family and all of those kinds of uh-huh. things that I had to, I had to, um, I had to do. So it's really, um, I think at this point in time in my life, now I'm really, uh, focused on it more. I think, I think the level of my writing and singing and all kinds of stuff, I think is at a, a, a higher, a much higher level than it was back then as yeah. well. So, um, I'm going to try and go for it a lot more now. I mean, it's later on in my life, but I don't care. I'm still going to do <laughs> it. Um, it's just that's just sort of the way it worked out. Yeah. In a long answer for you. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed pieces, by the way. I've never heard that before. So this week I've been kind of dipping into your back catalog a little bit and I really enjoyed that EP. Um, Thanks. I, I couldn't find Karma anywhere, though. It doesn't seem to be on Spotify. Um, We're going to re-release. Yeah, that's an old yeah. thing. But I got some I found some old copies. I'm going to sell it on my website here. There's a few cool tracks on that. Cool. As well. Uh Lovely. Um, well, I've, uh, Gary, have you got any, anything else you'd like no, to No, I think that pretty much covers everything we want to discuss here. Cool. Great. Lovely. Well, Nick, we usually do a charity of the week. Um, so this week, uh, I'd like to offer you the charity of the week slot. Well, okay. Um, here, it's a, it's a local charity. I imagine there might be stuff similar to this where you, in other parts of the world that it's – this one is just – is uh, is based here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It's called Just Neighbors Interfaith Homeless Network. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool about this place is that it gets, it works with homeless families or people that are newly homeless and try and gives them an opportunity to first stay together as a family yeah. if something bad like that happens, and then gives them opportunities to get back on their feet. It's not just giving them a handout, which is totally needed, of mm-hmm. course, and, and feeding them, which they totally do, but puts a roof over their head and then offers them ways to get uh, education and uh, do different things. It's sort of like a merit-based thing as well. The harder you work to try to get back into yeah. into normal life, uh, society, that kind of thing, um, the more they'll help you. I mean, you know, they don't close the doors either, but I mean, you have to you have to put the effort into. Yeah. It's not just there to to get the free meal. You have to work hard to get your family back in in, in good shape. Yeah. And uh, they just do a really good job. And they're, they're, it's a cool place. Good people. And uh, they help out a lot of families. Excellent. Cool. So you can donate to this. I'll include a link um, to their website on our uh, show notes for this page. Um, You can donate through PayPal. So it looks like you can donate from anywhere in the world to that. So that sounds like a really good, really good cause. Thanks for for that, Nick. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me uh, talk about it. No problem. So I think we shall wrap that up. Nick, thanks very, very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for spending this time with us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. You're welcome. Um, and apologies for our lack of any sort of professionalism. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, it's, good. Perfect. This is great. It's kind of our trademark. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what we do. Yeah. Um, can I pub one thing yep, before we go? Absolutely. Since this is sort of all gen- things Genesis yep, related. Yes, absolutely. Um, the leader of my band, Big Big Train, Greg Spotton, and our manager, Nick Shilton, have just released a book about Genesis. It's called Genesis 1967 to 75, the Peter Gabriel years. They started a little publishing company. And um, Mario Giametti's book is what they've released. And if you're a Genesis head, uh, like Greg is a big uh-huh. one, and myself, it's a really cool thing. So I'd, I'd just like to, to pub that. You can go to bigbigtrain.com and get a link directly to where to buy that book. I think you can buy it on Burning Shed, uh-huh. uh, places like that as well. So I thought I'd throw it out to the Genesis fans out there. That's great. Thank you. Yeah. I did read about that book, actually. It was quite interesting. I'll, uh, I'll find a link again and put that in the show notes. Um, just uh, very briefly, um, are you working on anything else with Big Big Train in the near future as well? We had uh, our first tour of the States and a tour of mainland Europe booked for this June and in July. And obviously those are all canceled. So yeah. what we're going to do is get back in the studio late November hopefully going back to real world in the UK to record a new record for next year. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, uh, won't keep you any longer, Nick. Uh, Once again, thanks for your time. Um, Pleasure. And uh, yeah, stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You do the same, guys. Yeah. Hopefully this will all end soon. We can get back to. Yeah. Yeah. We're certainly all, we're looking forward to live gigs again. Yes. Me too. Yes. So, listeners, thanks very much for tuning in. And uh, as always, stay safe and keep talking and join us next week for another episode. Yep. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. That's it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <fair enough. laughs> um,